0: Left, right. Yo, what's up, Sip Talk podcast, YouTube, and uh, audio podcast listeners? It's been an interesting week. Last week has felt like a month. So, uh, trying to get this online just so you can hear our take on it. Uh, I appreciate the feedback and I look forward to you guys subscribing, liking, and commenting. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. This Cheers. 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 Welcome to episode 44 of SIP Talk. Just going to do a quick uh, recap and some current events because it has been kind of a wild week. Last week we talked about politics. Are we about kind air? of
1: previewed the debate and then talked about a couple different political issues or whatever. And boy, has a lot happened since then.
0: Yeah, well, I was—I didn't want to get into too much politics before the debate. I mean, I still hate talking about politics. It's just I find it so divisive. Um, but I'm going to pop up with a beer. Uh, what, uh, what are you drinking down there? The usual. Milwaukee's
1: best ice at look. room
0: temperature. Well, I got a... I got a blue point partnered with Presidente. It's called Una Fria. Hmm. I got a cold one.
1: No. Um, yeah, I'm going to. Well, so Saturday night I ended up buying myself a really nice bottle of beer, like a, one of those kind of like wine bottle sized bottles of beer. It was a sour made by um, Goose Island. Oh, no,
0: I like Goose Island. I like
1: Goose Island. I, I love sour beers. It's just they're really hard to find, and like, also hard to find in quantities that are affordable.
0: True. So, so let's do a little recap on the week. So we got, uh, we we hit that debate. Obviously, we skipped out anything current. We talked about aliens, because aliens. Yeah,
1: right. So the debate happened, and then there's uh, everyone's reaction to the debate, and then Thursday and Friday is when trump tested positive for coronavirus then there's a whole bunch of coronavirus news and then swirling around that is the battle for the supreme court which is also somewhat related to the coronavirus outbreak and then there's also the ongoing problems with the economy and um, another round of stimulus payments and economic relief for a variety of people who i'm sure very much still need it
0: So, but it's funny that we're talking about this because Trump's tax returns were released right before any of this happened.
1: Yeah, like four days beforehand.
0: And I'm wondering if some of this is a bit of a stunt to completely distract the American people from the whole, the fact that that Trump paid $750 in taxes, which there are some arguments for that, that I completely agree with, but I still think that's fucking wild.
1: Well, I and mean, this is actually a topic that I know quite a bit about because it's what I do. Um, okay, and enough. so, him paying the seven hundred and fifty dollars in tax or whatever it is is going. So, the main driver of that is going to be what's called a net operating loss, where he has all these different businesses that. In prior years had been running massive losses, and so, if you run a loss in a given year as a business. Well you're not going to have to pay any tax because, besides like the payroll taxes and stuff that you have is just part of operating, but in terms of tax on the profits of your business you're not going to have to pay any tax because you didn't have any earnings and so they allow you to accrue those losses and be able to carry them forward to the next year. So if this if this year I lost $10,000, I paid no tax, and then I carry that $10,000 loss forward to next year. So next year, if I make $20,000, I can take the $10,000 loss from this year and apply it to next year, and I only have to pay tax on 10000 even though I earned twenty. with sure. the idea being that you have to pay cumulative earnings. And so the question as to whether or not trump's taxes are legit or not is whether or not the losses that were generated by those businesses were actual losses or whether he used a variety of accounting tricks or straight up fraud to create losses when there actually weren't
0: any yeah that's that's the other part of it but i do think there's a good chance that he's he's probably carried over some losses and some serious losses and he has probably some great tax incentives for you know new construction buildings and, and things like that um, that I think are very much legitimate. So I do think before we all go crazy and react, we need more information. And when I,
1: when I saw the story, the first thing I thought was, I want to look at the forms. I don't want to look at someone's interpretation of what they say. I want to see what the actual forms look
0: like. But you and I, you and I think like that rather than react because we are critical thinkers and people are just simply hearing this news and reacting to it, not putting any actual depth of thought into what it could be. And, uh, you know, also
1: the thing, look, once you look at the forms or whatever, they're only going to tell you so much. Cause if most of his tax benefits or whatever are coming through the form of these NOL carry forwards, then I would want to know, all right, what businesses are, they associated with and how did the business generate those and on his personal return you're not going to see that information because it's either going to be if it's on his personal return then it would have to be either interest in a partnership or an s corporation and those come through by what's called a form k1 and the k1 gives kind of a summary of your allocated percentage of what the business did but you don't get to look at the business's financials this is just like justin into julio's portion of such and such a business but you don't get to look at the the financials of the business on the k-1 it's just a snapshot yeah. so it would be impossible to tell even if we were to look at all of trump's forms right. to, to yeah. know whether or not it's legit accounting or not
0: sure and that's why i think the the audit comes into play and i think you know i do th- i just think reacting now is a bit premature but
1: well the the audit coming into play is 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 bullshit because the irs has flat out said you can release your tax returns and it will have no bearing on our on our procedures with the audit we already have all the stuff that we need to do we just need to reach a decision you putting this information out publicly won't change the result of our audit you can do that so that's that's a bullshit excuse because the irs has said it's fine yeah
0: yeah, well, I mean, I just, yeah, I think an audit would help reveal exactly what's going on if we, if we were able to, like, that's, the, that's what an audit is for, is they're going to dig in and find out exactly what's going on with the taxes. Um, but, you know, I, I just think it's funny for someone saying I'm pro-America, greatest businessman in the world, to not be paying any taxes, because I feel like those two statements are a bit conflicting, that I'm very pro-America, yet I don't pay anything to America. I make so much money because I'm a businessman, and even well, it's
1: it, well actually, it's I make so much money as a businessman, but my tax my tax returns show me that all my businesses are hemorrhaging money. So I think that you're you're right to identify that there's two hypocrisies there. One is I love America, I support America, but you don't pay any taxes. And two is I'm a great businessman, but all my businesses are losing money.
0: Yeah, but I, but I, you know, I just, I think I'd, I'd like to learn a little bit more also say, and I'll get, uh, again, I, I haven't, I haven't made a conclusion on this. Maybe he doesn't pay a lot in taxes, but donates tens of millions of dollars to charities.
1: That would be something that you, well, they, that would probably have been something that would have come across in, in the reporting, because that would be a very easy figure to find on the tax returns. Remarkably I, easy.
0: I'm sure it is, but I'm not looking. I'm just saying there's, a, you know, sure, if, if you want to say you're very pro America, you give back a lot, yet you, you don't pay any taxes, you know, you, you should.
1: And you also can't use charitable deductions to reduce your taxable income below a certain amount. There's a cap um, in terms of what percentage of your taxable income you can claim as charitable donations. Um, off the top of my head, I think it's 60% in a year. So if you made $100,000, you can only deduct up to $60,000 of charitable d- donations in that year, and then any excess will carry forward into another year. So you can't use charitable donations to reduce your taxable income down to zero and pay no tax. Yeah,
0: well, no, you wouldn't. Obviously, wouldn't be donating all the charity anyways.
1: Um, but even if you did, you wouldn't be able to use charitable donations to to negate your taxable income.
0: So, so then, so let's just, let's get off the tax returns though, because we we don't have enough information anyways. We can speculate one way or the other, but, but I think the tax returns are, there's not enough there to grasp at, to, you know, to to make any determination. Um, No,
1: but I want to reiterate, I think your two key takeaways about the two hypocrisies are really important. I think that those are two conclusions uh, that you can draw.
0: And a great businessman, but the two don't really, you know.
1: But but you you not, don't pay taxes, so you're not helping America. And yeah. if you're a great businessman, then why are you losing all this money?
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so so what else? So we had the debate, which was miserable to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. Five or six minutes in, I it hit me that like uh, in the beginning, I was like, all right, so they're kind of both finding their pace. But then five or six minutes in, I was like, well. We're still kind of doing this, you know, it it just, it it just, it never got, it never smoothed out. And it was just kind of this barking dogs. Um, I do like that Biden kind of brought himself above what was happening there and addressed the camera directly. I thought that
1: At times he did well with that. Yeah,
0: I thought breaking that fourth wall was a really cool idea. I don't know where he came up with it. I'm curious if he'll do it in the second debate, if there even will be a second debate. If he'll do it in the second debate, and if Trump will take a page out of that book and do the same thing. So I'm real. I don't. I, I haven't heard much feedback as to how the general public. Well, if you're watching on live, let me know what you think. Did you like Biden breaking the fourth wall? Um, or did you like Trump staying one-on-one, mano-a-mano, or two-on-one? Um,
1: polls out there, um, everybody, that not everybody, obviously, but um, the vast majority of people surveyed found that Biden was much more direct and forthright with his answers. Um, my favorite moment of the debate was they had it in six segments, and so the the first segment especially but all of them to large degrees were just this constant bickering back and forth where neither candidate could really put together a thought because one of the, one of the two was interrupting each other or whatever but after the at, at the end of the first segment chris Wallace butts in and says okay we need to end the segment and move on or whatever and biden just as as a side be like well oh, that was a productive segment like aware of how stupid everything was i was like all right that's that's hilarious
0: well he did he did at times bring him you know himself kind of above what was going on and um trump felt as if the moderator was against him but it was because the moderator had to work the most to moderate trump
1: uh completely agree
0: yeah so so i don't necessarily he think he was arguing policies against him or really, you know, for or against what he was saying, it was just his job to moderate. And I think a really good idea, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and radio shows where people call in and sometimes the caller will just go on and on and on. And then the, the host will try to answer the questions, but then they can't because the caller's still going on. And I always wonder why don't they just cut the mic? Why don't they cut the audio feed?
1: So that's a proposal for the next debate.
0: So, you know, early on in the first debate, I was wondering, is there any way to just say, hey, we're going to cut the mics and uh, the the
1: rules of the debate prohibited that in the first one, mm -hmm. but the debate commission has definitely looked at that I don't know whether or not they're going to be implementing that for next week, but that's one that got a lot of traction among people online just the general public saying like hey it would be a great idea if we could just kind of press mute on one of the candidates if they go over their time or if they're interrupting excessively and so um i i personally think that it's a great idea mm. and to your point about trump bickering about um chris wallace as a moderator or whatever well yeah like towards the end of the debate, I actually felt bad for Chris Wallace because he was just getting walked all over on by these guys. And there was little that he could do. But yeah, if you look at the scorecard um, in terms of number of times one candidate interrupted the other during the debate, it's it favors Trump by about five to one. So if you think about it in, in sports terms, like one candidate was getting all the fouls called against him, but he was the one who was fouling. So and from my experience, refereeing, the teams that have all the fouls getting called against, some are the ones that are going to be more likely to complain about the referee, regardless of whether or not the referee is doing a good job or not. You call more fouls against the team, They're going to be upset about it.
0: Regardless of who's winning. Yep. That has, the fouls has nothing to do. Yeah. refing and, and fouling and calling, calling the plays. That has nothing to do with who's winning. Uh, it just makes nobody. It makes, especially the referee, not want, Ultimately, you know, deep down inside, not before that team that's, that's, giving him so much of a headache, but,
1: but when, really, when I do, when I, when I do my games these days, when I, um, back when I was doing captain's meetings, cause now because of COVID they don't want us doing it, which whatever. But what I would tell the captain's meetings is I wouldn't give them too many instructions about what I want in the game. I just said, Hey guys, the harder I have to work, the less happy everybody is.
0: I like that. I like that. Um, so, so debates, is there a vice presidential debate tonight? I think tomorrow. Um, Tomorrow. It's Wednesday. Yep. Um, Somebody just commented uh, something on that. So uh, vice presidential is tomorrow. So uh, um, I'm actually very interested to see. I don't remember Pence in the last one. Maybe I missed it. Um, But, yeah, I don't remember him. I
1: don't remember the vice presidential debate from four years ago at all.
0: But I do want to watch this one because I'm just I'm curious. Pence. It's a very big clash of styles. Yeah, I, I think I think Pence is going to get run over. Uh, I don't see, I mean, he hasn't really done very much. He's not a very super public guy. So he,
1: He's mostly just an apologist for Trump.
0: Yeah, but also, I mean, Trump's got a big personality, so he spends a lot of time in the shadows. Um, that, and that's another reason why I'm curious to, you know, he's also very religious, I think.
1: Yes, very much so.
0: Is he the guy that calls his wife
1: mom? um I don't know about that but I I do know that he has from multiple sources everyone's just like yeah, this dude's super religious and even people that are religious like yeah, this dude's kind of out
0: there Yeah uh, yeah uh, he calls his wife mother actually uh, really yeah, that's a little weird uh, uh, that's super weird. Yeah it's uh, I don't know maybe Freudian.
1: Well, it'll be interesting because Kamala Harris, from her time as a prosecutor, is going to be that she has just a lot of experience in debate and thinking on her feet and asking pointed questions.
0: Yeah, well, true, true.
1: What are the people saying? What are you you laughing at?
0: Uh, I'm just uh, somebody just somebody confirmed. Yeah, he calls her mother and people don't know that, which is just I didn't know that. That's fucking weird. Man. No, yeah, it's super weird. Uh that, I mean I don't I don't I don't get it. I don't get it. So so let's move let's get out of the presidential vice
1: presidential Well, what about uh, and we've missed one big story that happened over the last four like 5 days. I think that's about what I'm
0: going to mention, but go ahead. Trump getting coronavirus. Uh that's not what I was going to say. What were you uh, going to say? I was going to talk about Supreme Court, but let's talk about the coronavirus thing because right now, I actually believe, I listened to Dr. Drew yesterday, and he was talking about the cocktail, the drug cocktail, the pharmaceutical cocktail, fucking cocktails. I'm going to get another beer. Hang on. Don't dough. Speaking of cocktails. Talking about the amount of drugs that Trump is on
1: and a lot.
0: the side effects of these drugs and the the I, I don't i can't think of a better phrase whatever he used but kind of the slight mania that you get from using the steroid and how you feel fucking phenomenal so uh, yeah so he's he's leaving he left the hospital today, feeling phenomenal ripped off his mask going up these stairs there um what you yeah, t- but if
1: you if you watch a video of it from when he was um, kind of out on the balcony facing the supporters in the press or whatever, there's a crazy video that you can see where, like, when it's zoomed in, you can actually see that he's actually really struggling to breathe.
0: Well, that and that could be the steroids or whatever else he's on, masking that. Yeah. Well, no, ma- masking that because they're bringing him up when the real issue is still is still going on. Yeah, uh, and, I think, and I think there's a pretty high probability that's what's happening
1: right now. That, so when when the news broke, so Thursday night, it happened at about 1 a.m. I was asleep when the news broke. But I remember um, my roommate had his, had a friend over and the news broke that his advisor, Hope Hicks, had tested positive, And they had been on the same plane back from I think it was Cleveland back to D.C., they're like all right they were in the same plane he and she's one of his closest advisors i'm like they've had contact or whatever like if this were ever the chance for trump to get it this would be it and i just went on this rant about how like i don't believe in karma because i like for me i just don't do metaphysics and i don't think that there's some guiding force in the universe making things right and wrong but i do believe in poetic justice and (laughs) Which is similar to karma, but it's not necessary. It's just sometimes shit happens. And I just said, for someone who has spent, basically, the since, since the outset of the coronavirus, minimizing and debating whether or not it was a real threat, and really criticizing any actions that were taken that hampered the economy in the name of preventing coronavirus, and for someone who has... Flouted wearing masks and insulted people that wear masks and insulted people that take precautions to to not get coronavirus. Like, what what greater irony would there be that not only does he catch coronavirus, but that it may end up killing him?
0: Well, I don't which really- I'm not hoping for, by the way. And that's what I've been telling people, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't care that much for Trump as, as a president or as, as, a person, like, you know, and some of his policies I think are okay, actually, but I don't want to get into that. But I think wishing death on the president is, is pretty lousy, but also I, you know, people have been like really digging into all of the details of, Oh, he's on this medication and he's doing this and, you know, we, we, he was stepping up the steps and we noticed his breathing was a bit labored or his face is a bit red or uh, I heard somewhere in the news this morning, like at a certain point, like do you, you we got, you just, you got to stop digging and just kind of accept what it is. You know, what is the, and everybody is like, oh, we have the right to know this, this, and this. And somebody on the news this morning was, was, uh, was like, you know, Reagan got shot, but you know, people wanted to know his general condition, but they weren't like demanding to know his white blood cell uh, count. You know, every, you know everybody now is demanding to know literally every single thing as it happens, up to the minute. And I, you know, I think uh, I think we just got to have some patience, let it play out. You know, we hope the president doesn't die. And if you don't like the president, you know, you, maybe you hope it slows his campaign down a little bit to make him look like a fool because it does. And, uh, you know, and just let it play out. And, and you know, if he gets sicker because he does some dumb shit, like that's what happens when you do dumb shit.
1: Yeah, I I very much do not want him to die. Um, And and if you were to ask me what is my ideal outcome, it's I want him to lose this election in a landslide that is so commandingly powerful that no matter what level of bullshit he spews about it being rigged or whatever. It's just undeniable that not only did he lose, but he was massively unpopular when he lost. And then once he leaves office, because one thing that's really frustrated me for pretty much the duration of Trump's public life has been that he does all these profoundly shitty things. And has has managed to escape consequences for them? I think every single time.
0: Well, I, uh, that's that's one of the big things I don't I don't really like about about Trump is that he he does this bad stuff and he just has a lifetime experience of spinning this stuff and literally just kind of like you know the the guy basically uh, uh, it just he kind of cheats his way to the top and spins his, you know, spins his way off. This guy's constantly scoring touchdowns flags were thrown and finds a way for just the game to go on without review. And they pull the, they pull the flag back.
1: Yeah. And that's, and so what I want more than anything else is for him to have all that privilege stripped away and have to face the consequences that any normal person would have had to have faced. So let him have to actually go to court for all the tax issues that he has in New York and like, let him have to face the consequences that you could make the argument that he's ruined this country
0: in, I, in a lot of ways. I think he has sown a lot of divisiveness and I think that's why China and Russia are super pro-Trump, even though they don't like his policies, but they realize that he is sowing division throughout the United States.
1: That's why Russia loves him. China's in between.
0: Well, but because he's, because he's affected uh, the Chinese economy. That's why China doesn't like him. Yeah. China's not fully against him because he understands, they, they understand the damage that he's doing to the U S.
1: Well, they also understand that he's easy to manipulate. Yes.
0: But, but that's, you know, again, I'm not super, you know, I, I don't think all of his policies are terrible and I respect to a degree, some of his politics, like, He was elected to do certain things, I think. And we'll talk about the Supreme Court nominee in in a minute. But from his position, he should be full force for all the things that he believes that he represents. And yeah, but the thing is, he he, he didn't even really
1: have like he claims this whole mandate from the election in 2016 or whatever. But it wasn't even that he lost the popular vote by three million. So it's not like even the majority of the country wanted him. The reason why he won is because we've got a stupid system of how we pick our presidents because of the Electoral College. So he didn't even have a mandate. Yeah. So don't don't give me this. He he has this powerful force behind him of the the American people voted him to do a job. No, they didn't. They no, they didn't. A select few states and a few states like 15000 people swung the vote and that went 100 percent of the state went to him. So no, he didn't have this mandate in 2016.
0: And, if I think about the people, and that's not saying that the, pop, the general population even would have voted for him because so many people. What's the, do you know? What the general the number is kind of for voter turnout?
1: Um, so usually between 45 and 50 percent. Let's find out.
0: 50%? I thought it was closer to 15 percent.
1: No, it's much higher than that. It's between 45 and 50 percent. General election well, voter turnout.
0: You're All looking, right. Hold on, hold on. While you're looking that up, Doria, if you're if you're on, which I saw you joined a little while ago, uh, Doria did a cameo in one of our our earlier podcasts. But she sent over a nice birthday bottle of scotch. Uh, it's a Lowland Scotch Malt well, Bladnoch. Um Beautiful bottle. Very, a, a very nice
1: presentation. Very, I agree.
0: Very solid, heavy uh, container. But I'm I'm not familiar with it, so. Uh, All right. I was wrong.
1: So 2016 voter turnout.
0: Can you give me a second here? Yeah, go ahead. I just want to say thank you uh, to Doria. Um, She hasn't commented, but I saw she joined earlier and I did send her a a video. Thank you. But I want to thank her for the the video bottle of scotch. And I was planning to wait for you to come up here, James, and and open it up.
1: Well, I very much want to. It's just a matter of when New York relaxes quarantine restrictions.
0: Tell me about that. But uh, but but a super thank you to Doria. And uh, looking forward to trying a new scotch because I do drink a lot of scotch, but I haven't heard of this one and it, it looks phenomenal. Yeah, it looks like a really cool bottle. So on that note though, so I said about 15%. Uh, percent. You said 45 to 50%. What, what's it really look like?
1: 2016, the official figure is 55.5. 55.
0: 5. 55.5%? Yes. Oh, fuck.
1: Really? 138 million people out of 250 250 million eligible voters. Eligible. You, know, you got kids and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, okay. So out of
1: 250 eligible voters, 138 million, 138,847 was the voter turnout. So about 55%. Which is
0: roughly um, a third of the population. What? A little, little more than a third of the total population. Um, No. 150.
1: U.S. population is about 330 million and 140, uh, 330. So
0: it's like 40%. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, a little more than a third, forty percent, uh, of the total population, but roughly a little under h- half of the, a little over half of the, total voting population. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's think about who votes. Old people. Old people. Who else? I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, traditionally, old people um, and majority—I think—white people. Um, what's the education? What, what are those stats of like an education of voting? I
1: have no idea. That would be that would require a much deeper dive than what I was able to find in a thirty-second
0: search. Yeah, uh, but I think it's a, the population—people who who are solid, recurring voters. Um,
1: the only one I know for sure is old people old people which also lean towards trump Uh, not this not this election well maybe not this that's a major democratic uh, demographic shift is old people very much went for trump in 2016 but they have shifted pretty hard towards biden and you have to think that the coronavirus response is playing some part of
0: that but also biden is old so so is trump yeah but biden looks older Yeah. yeah And he looks a better version of old. Like if you if you're like yeah, I want like to be old like that, like I want to be old like Biden, not like not like Trump. So yeah, Biden
1: for for being almost 80 years old, like he, he he's done a pretty good job of getting old.
0: Hmm. He's got more hair than I do, so that's good.
1: <laughs> um, um so yeah. So the Supreme Court and well so yeah, my issue with the Supreme Court four years ago. More than four years ago, when Antonin Scalia died, that was either in February or March of 2016. And Obama nominates Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court. And the Republicans say, who, who had control of the Senate at the time said, we're not going to hear any confirmation hearings on any nominees that you make. And the reason they gave was it's a election year, and we want to let the election determine whether a Democrat or a Republican president nominates the next Supreme Court justice. Stop. That's the end of the sentence. That's what they said is we want to, we want the voters to choose who's going to be electing the next, who's going to be electing the next president and therefore selecting the next Supreme Court nominee. So now a very similar situation happens in 2020, but even closer to the election and now these cunt punters are just going to have going about saying, well, you know, that's because we controlled the Senate at the time and it was a Republican Senate and a Democratic president. And so when you have opposite parties controlling these different branches or whatever, that's one thing. It's another thing when we control both branches or whatever. Like, no, just own up to what you said. You said you created a precedent out of thin air <laughs> that, that that didn't exist before 2016. You came up with this idea to justify your shit behavior. And then as soon as circumstances change such that that precedent is no longer beneficial to you, you just abandon it like the redheaded stepchild that you didn't want to
0: adopt. So, uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, what, what exactly did he say? Remind me, he said that if he was in a situation in the next election that you could hold him to it. That... Yeah, he said. He wouldn't. Use my,
1: he 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 said used my own words against me.
0: Has like how's that playing out in your state? I'm just curious. Um, so Lindsey Graham
1: is in pretty much a dead heat with the Democratic challenger, and it's it's an odd one because you've got a lot of people that are motivated to vote this year that might not have been because they're upset with the general state of politics, and then you've got the people that are very loyal to Trump that also don't like Lindsey Graham because of the times that he's broken with Trump. So Lindsey's kind of tried to have his cake and eat it too. And neither eaten nor had cake because he, he he's kind of at, at times he's broken with Trump and trying to play towards the middle and that's lost the trump voters and then the times that he's been sycophantic towards trump is lost some of the moderates that might have been willing to vote for him otherwise and also the democrats have a pretty strong candidate in jamie harrison he's 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 well-spoken he's he's got a lot of likables he's got good policy visions he's a strong candidate and also in a year where racial issues very much matter and black lives matter is at the forefront of a lot a lot of people's minds like the Democrats have nominated a black candidate for Senate and right, well, a, a strong
0: candidate. Having spent a lot of time in, in South Carolina, I think, um, I think Jamie, you know, from what I've seen and, and for what it's worth, I have not seen very much, but I think Jamie Harrison would be, would be a really good uh, leader for the state.
1: Um, I hope he wins.
0: You know, I'd like—I'd actually like to follow. I because obviously I'm not in South Carolina, I don't follow too too much. But I think he might be more represent more representative of the state and the population than the aging white old man Lindsey Graham. Um, and I think those old ways are kind of going out. I think South Carolina is shifting. It is, but slowly. A Heavy shift, Um and I mean I. We moved to South Carolina during the first Obama election, and for me, but racism wasn't, three months beforehand. Yeah, racism wasn't really something we ever thought about. We thought about race all the time. I've seen
1: it a good bit down here, but
0: but before we lived in South Carolina, growing up up in upstate New York, for the most part, the people that we knew were white, and the people who weren't white culturally in upstate New York were pretty white culturally at uh, least
1: in where we grew up there's certain certainly different areas
0: our, our, what i'm talking about is our experience you know if,
1: oh yeah absolutely
0: if somebody was korean or they were chinese or they were black or they were hispanic they, we all shop in the same grocery store uh, you know like
1: uh, yeah our community and our, our school growing up or whatever like it was really homogenous where It was really like I'd say there was just kind of two groups of people in our school. There were the people that were more rural, of like people that lived out in the farmland, and then people that lived closer to Troy or whatever that were kind of more middle class. Not that like the farmers weren't middle class, but the attitude of kind of rural versus more just middle class professional.
0: Yeah, but I feel like you and I were probably more on the the suburban type. Oh, yes, very much so. I agree. You know, but it's funny because our you're closer to the mountains, but our school was was basically a couple of suburb towns, the mountains, and then farmland. Mm-hmm. But but I would say I would say that's that you know we had this dichotomy of uh, farm you know like pickup truck type culture and then just very kind of standard middle America middle class suburban uh, culture.
1: Yeah. And that's very different from Charleston because like in South Carolina in general has just a much higher percentage of the population that that's black or other minorities. But but
0: look, I didn't, I didn't think about racism. I I probably said a ton of racist shit, but it wasn't, there was no uh, introspection and I wasn't thinking about it when we lived in upstate New York. When we moved to South Carolina, especially during the Obama election, the first one, I noticed that there was a pretty hard line and there was a very big distinction between black and white. And I listened to a lot of public radio as I know, I know you do too. Mm-hmm. And I listened to general talk radio, and especially in our first few months there, I was trying to get a feel for a vibe of a reporting style that I liked. So, you know, we were both playing around with a lot of different radio stations, but you flip the dial until you find stuff that you like. But I noticed that there was a huge, racial divide, black and white, in uh, in South Carolina in Charleston where we were. And I had never felt that divide. I always thought we were all the same people. We just kind of, you know, we got different backgrounds, we got different stories, we got different families, we look a little different, but, you know, that's, that's about it. I did not realize that there was actually this kind of class divide. And in downtown Charleston, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how I remember it, there's literally one street where Below the street is super affluent white families with very expensive renovated homes, 1800s homes. And then above that street is kind of disenfranchised, like uh, mostly black families who the hurricane hit and they didn't have homeowners insurance. And a lot of the houses were in pretty dilapidated shape. But there was a real racial divide and there was a real real estate value divide.
1: Yeah. Um, it's shifted slightly in the 12 years since you've been here, but there's still, yeah. Um, there's been a lot of gentrification that's occurred where a lot of those neighborhoods have kind of been bought out and developed. If there's that
0: line, which runs east to west, and it was mostly white below that, that that line would slowly move.
1: Yeah. And when you moved here and it was when we moved here and, and, even more so before we got here. That line was Calhoun Street. Okay. I don't know. If you remember. Calhoun Street is like like King Street, like upper and lower King. And I like thought it
0: was King Street, but
1: okay. King Street's the is runs north south. So you do you go on like left right from King Street, whereas I, Calhoun I, Street cuts across the middle of the peninsula. Okay. And ca- it yeah. That because it used to be King street was divided by Calhoun street and lower King street would be where all the expensive shops were. And a lot of the history and stuff like that. And below, about below Calhoun street, and especially below broad street towards the battery where you'd have all these pre civil war homes and stuff like you, you're talking five to $10 million homes. Some of these places were probably built in the late 1600s and still kept up and, and just phenomenally beautiful properties or whatever, but, once you got above calhoun street it would have been early 1900s to like like 1910 to like 1950 construction and some of those yeah probably got obliterated by hugo and Hugo. hugo was uh, the 1989
0: 89 that destroyed the majority of the city
1: yeah the eye of the storm passed over isle of palms which is about 10 miles north of charleston not even
0: yeah, which means they got they got a short break where the rest of the place. Right.
1: Yeah. Um. Hugo absolutely leveled Charleston, where I think the the, the city was without power for like two to three weeks, and a lot of the people that I know here that grew up here talk about the experience of going through Hugo. So. But, I, yeah. Yeah. Right. There's definitely a huge divide in Charleston in terms of race, race okay. but I think it's. When I was when I was a substitute teacher, at first I was afraid that the job was making me racist because a lot of my problem students were black. But then when I started to realize what I what I looked at was what buses were these kids coming from? And I noticed that the problem students that I had that were white were coming off of the same bus as the problem students that I had that were black. And the connection that I made was this isn't race. This is the kids that are coming from the very poor neighborhoods where the parents don't care about what the kids are doing, where there's no discipline enforced at home. Those are the kids that are at the nightmares in, in, in the classroom. And it didn't matter if they were black or white. It mattered what kind of culture they were being raised with in terms of how much respect were they given to adults? How much work ethic were they being kind of indoctrinated with at home? How responsible were they being made to be when there wasn't like a threat of force from their parents or something like that,
0: well, and so, yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 but that's the crazy thing about living in different cities and having, and also being somebody who thinks, like, you know, you just weren't experiencing and not thinking about it, you know, because you could have drawn that conclusion, but you actually thought about it, you did some observing, and you realized that race wasn't the issue; it was, um, geo-economic. culture, yeah, uh, but
1: socioeconomic for sure, yes.
0: So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's just wild, you know, Lindsey Graham, I don't think it's a good representation of a maybe not the majority, but a, a large minority of the state, which has been under major, majorly underrepresented in that state. And I just think it'd be cool to have, I don't know, again, I don't know anything about this guy. He is black. So I assume that he will help speak for, the black population. I don't know about the other. We,
1: well, Tim Scott is our other Senator and he's black, but he's like as hardcore Republicans it gets. So he's yeah.
0: kind of an enigma. So, but th- th- just what I'm saying is, you know, I think I need to learn more about him, but um... everything
1: that I've seen from him, like I, I saw some snippets of his performance into the debate against Lindsey Graham. And I, I just like him. I-, I like Jamie Harrison. He, he, he comes across very well.
0: Can you also share that name. Yeah, Sure. Um, so look, let's, uh, cause we, you know, we only got so much time, but let's, uh, let's just quick talk about this Supreme court changeup. I think, uh, I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg was probably doing her absolute best to hold out life as long as she possibly could. Uh, because I feel that she felt that she owed that to her country. So it's really sad. To uh, see.
1: Yeah. When, when I found out that she died, um, I didn't I wasn't checking the news. My roommate came home from from his job and he's like, So uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, and I said, Oh fuck, that's not good.
0: It's it's I had heard I uh, think a radio lab podcast about her and there's a couple of movies. She became pretty popular in the last year or so.
1: Yeah, Be- she became but, iconic.
0: But yeah, she really became iconic. And it's wild that, like, we're talking about the last 40, 50 years of her life, really. And mm-hmm. we're, it's kind of all coming to this culmination right now, um, which I just think, you know, is, is wild. And it happened right before she died. And now we're talking about a little bit, but still, I think she's a bit eclipsed by the election and by her potential predecessor, which is which is crazy. Um I don't necessarily know this woman is a good addition to the Supreme court. Well, she's most likely
1: going to rule against the affordable care act, which is going to put at at minimum 20 to 25 million people out of health insurance. She's almost certainly going to rule against, um, like women's choice rights when it comes to abortion. Um, pretty likely that she would rule against any marriage equality or religious liberty issues that would allow people to discriminate against minority groups namely gays so a lot of the progress that's been made in the last 10 years or 50 years if you count roe v wade 1973 a lot of that progress is deeply threatened by by this nomination and I don't think that there's a lot that the Democrats can do to stop it. The only thing that they're going to be able to do, I think the only path forward for the Democrats to try and equalize in some way is after the election, if they're able to get both the presidency and a majority of both house and Senate, more importantly, is to expand the number of seats on the Supreme court and say, you guys have, dragged us over the coals in 2016 and 2020 now it's our turn Mm. which is dangerous because it's going to it's just going to escalate the stakes and
0: yeah i'm not crazy about about that idea i think uh i think the democrats are a bit crazy and ultra liberal and you know like i'm just thinking like this fucking cancel rent culture That doesn't even make any sense.
1: I don't think that's a serious policy proposal. No, but I
0: feel like that's that, but it's not, I mean, it's fucking huge. We fucking people, you don't have as much rental. There's a
1: difference between the people that are protesting in the street and the people that are actually making policy. I don't think that there's anybody out there that's seriously making this as a policy.
0: But, but I feel like, I feel like these crazy, you know, but we got homeless people staying in the hotels right by my house. And you know, and then these people are, like, making uh, – Brooks Brothers went out of business recently. Yep. And now there's a, a fucking cardboard encampment outside of Brooks Brothers. And uh, you, you say, fuck, like, how are homeless people shooting up heroin in the streets and living in the streets outside of these luxury retailers and these luxury buildings? People are paying $10 million for a fucking two-bedroom apartment on this street and then outside somebody's camping in a box like that's not cool and then that person three days later wants to chase some kids around with a fucking needle uh, which is happening all the time too and i
1: don't don't see how you connect this to democratic policies though
0: what i'm saying is that when you're like well you know we got to get rid of these homeless people in the area the ultra liberal the aoc uh alexandria ocasio-cortez type uh, politicians in the area are like well the homeless people have the right to live anywhere. You should not want to live next to this, is not in my backyard. You know, you should be, you should be open arms having these homeless people stay in the hotels considering the hotels are shut down. That, that people are trying to make actual arguments about how we should house homeless people in hotels that cost $600 a night.
1: Well, there's an argument to be made about housing a, homeless well, people I, in hotels. I think that there's, there's, there's a legitimate policy for that.
0: I, but that's what I'm saying, is that some of this stuff is coming to reality, and it's just, it's wild to see, I got a ticket the other day, because I tried to, uh, I turned around in one way, because some homeless person was laying in the fucking parking spot.
1: Yeah, we've all heard the story.
0: And I got a fucking ticket, yeah, because it pisses me off. I actually have court tomorrow morning, so, um, you know, and the, and the cops gave me a hard time, but they didn't give the guy a hard
1: time. Right, but if we, to like, if we were to use public money to try and find housing for these people, increase the support in terms of the homeless shelters or temporarily putting these people up in hotels while we try and figure out what to do with them or whatever, Like, then that person's no longer laying in your parking spot. He's in a hotel. He's no longer yeah. chasing kids around with a needle. Yeah. He's in a hotel. He's in a shelter. He's getting help. He's yeah. getting oh, his overnight. problems identified.
0: He's in a hotel overnight, and he's buying and selling drugs on the street outside of my apartment during the daytime or he's high as fuck during the daytime walking around. I saw a woman with a fucking towel wearing like a diaper today, walk in front of the office. She had like a, a a hoodie on zipped up halfway, no shirt underneath. And she had a towel wrapped around her, like a fucking diaper. And she's walking like a zombie through the streets and everybody's just like, Holy fuck. But I'm sure she probably slept somewhere comfortable last night. I don't know.
1: I don't know. Homelessness is a complicated issue. But I don't think that like having a completely dispassionate response but having furthers a, the problem.
0: But having a fully compassionate response that these people have every right, they shouldn't have to work for anything, and that we should be putting them in a six hundred dollar a night hotel is not an answer either. So no, it isn't. what I'm saying is that this ultra liberal response to things scares me also. So I'm really yeah, I, I I'm really not going
1: worried. to argue against that.
0: I'm really really, you know, uh I'm really concerned with that and but, again I think uh, you know I think that we really need to wait. I if there's any way we can figure out how to do it to confirm this lady, I say you know we just wait another 2 months and then they can do it. But but Well, no,
1: them. 2 months still like I think your argument is we need to wait until the next president's elected. Yeah, and actually inaugurated
0: into office yeah that's why i said four months
1: okay um but like what about the the, the main policies that i think are going to be under threat are going to be marriage equality women's right to choose and the affordable health care act and sure like
0: sure but but the affordable health care act is relatively new 2010 2010 okay uh but it's also not great or two yeah i think 2010 i thought it was a little bit later than that but i guess it is 2020 it
1: was phased in like it, it's what it, it took two or three years at least for all of its provisions to kind of fully take effect yeah but i think it was signed into law in 2010 either that or late 2009 but more likely 2010 i don't remember but one of the two years or whatever um yeah, it's not a perfect law, but I think it's improved a lot of things and like I look at it as what are the consequences of confirming this nomination? It's going to be a 6 to 3 majority. It means that during his time in office, Trump has been able to confirm 3 out of 9 justices yeah. in 4 years as someone who lost the popular vote by 3 million votes.
0: These people are these people are appointed for a lifetime.
1: Yep. He's got and- one Amy support. Coney Barrett is 43. She could serve on the court for 40, 50, 50 years. years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Shaping policy for 40 or 50 years by someone, by a man who lost the popular vote by 3 million. Mm-hmm. And by a Senate that is likely going to change composition in three months. Yeah. And additionally, the, I don't think the Republicans even can even claim a ma- mandate because, like, so in 2016, they controlled co- Congress. They controlled the House of Representatives. But in 2018, they lost the House of Representatives, and they lost it bad. So if you want to say, what's the most recent election mandate? Well, you know what? It's not good for Republicans. They lost the last election bad. It just didn't happen to shift a lot of the governmental power because only one-third of the Senate was up for re-election, and the president wasn't. But if you look at the on aggregate, what the the country said about Republican policies in 2018, it was a pretty thorough rejection. So they don't even have to claim an electoral mandate because 2018 said no.
0: Yeah. Uh, So so just recap what's at stake, affordable health care, Roe versus Wade, which is uh, effectively abortions. Yep. And what else?
1: Um, like religious freedom as, as it's, as it's proclaimed by the right. But so Affordable Health Care Act, Roe versus Wade and marriage equality. Marriage
0: equality. Okay. Yeah. Marriage equality. Big, big... And,
1: and just gay rights in general. Yeah. Also wow. voting rights.
0: What type of voting rights in what way? Um,
1: the, the big case that comes to mind is in Florida in 2018, the state had a referendum that would allow people convicted of felonies to vote yeah so it used to be the law that if you were convicted of a felony you couldn't vote in florida so they held a voter referendum where the the, everybody in the state voted on it and by popular vote the referendum passed reinstating voting rights for like 1.5 million convicted felons and immediately after that the the state legislature enacted a law saying that all these felons would have to pay back any outstanding fines or court fees or anything related to their case before they could vote so even though they had served their time and everything else if they had outstanding fines or penalties they had to pay those two before they could vote what,
0: except and bloomberg? huh except bloomberg
1: well yeah th- that's where we're getting to Um and so this this battle, like it, it basically, my view of it is that, because this was passed by the Republicans, the Republicans passed the law against the uh, um, making it so that they the, the felons had to pay their their fines. So the Republicans passed this law to restrict people's right to vote because they, they basically
0: have to pay fines. They can't vote, but they have to pay the fine.
1: Right, and the problem with it is the Florida system is so poorly designed that it is very difficult to figure out whether or not you've actually paid up all your fines in the oh. initial case. The, so the, the, the case went through several levels at the trial level and then one appeal and then another appeal. So at the trial level, the people that were arguing against the, the law of having to pay the fines said look, you like Florida's system is so shittily designed that even someone who wants to obey this law is going to have a really hard time doing so. Because like, and they hired experts. They, they had like a team of like doctorates or like doctorates and doctoral candidates in law and like procedural justice and stuff like that. And they said, all right, Justin, um, you were convicted of a felony five years ago. You got out of jail two years ago. We're going to go and see like what your fines are. How much do you have to pay? And they did like this for like 28 or 30 people. And they were only able to like categorically say, we know how much this person owes for one of them because the systems don't talk to each other and being able to figure out whether or not these people were paid up and what their balances were was literally impossible for trained professionals to do. And so the problem is if you're, if you're a convicted felon, you want to vote and you try and pay your fines or whatever, like you might, you might be able to pay up your fee with the County, but maybe the County jail has a different fee that you weren't aware of. And so if you go out and vote, and it turns out that you had some unpaid fee somewhere out there. Now you've committed a crime because you voted illegally. So it makes it so that all these felons are like, well, shit, man, I don't know if I've paid up all my fees, but I sure as hell don't want to go to jail again. And voting could put me at risk for going to jail. Cause I don't know whether or not I've done what I need to do. And it's impossible me- for me to figure out whether or not I can do it. <sighs>
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I get it. I uh, I know what it's like trying to figure out if you have fines and uh, and have to deal with that shit. And the fucking court systems are are miserable to deal with. The people that work there are usually pretty miserable.
1: Yeah, it's not a fun job.
0: Yeah, and and they deal with they deal with a lot of misery. So if they're not miserable, kudos to them.
1: Uh, yeah, I put that I put that job at the same level of misery as baggage claims handler at an airport. Yeah. Mm. Uh, let me guess, you're upset.
0: <laughs> I mean, that can't be a fun job ever. Uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, maybe if you're the person delivering the baggage to the people that are so already pissed off. Like Oh, yeah.
1: Like the person giving the bag saying like, hey, here's your bag. Oh, thank you. Finally, I got my stuff back. But the person yeah. that has to say the, um, uh, let me guess, we lost your bag.
0: That, that has to be a very short-lived job. Like that cannot be something you, you stick at for a long time.
1: I would have to imagine that anybody that stays in that job and actually enjoys it has some kind of
0: psychopath, psychopathy. Yeah. they may be a bit retarded. Um, All right. Look, we, uh, we are coming up on the one hour mark. I'm coming up in the end of my third beer. So I'm going to call it there. I don't even know what we talked about politics, current events. We just recapped the past week. It took us an hour and we didn't even go into detail on any topic. No, we didn't. We didn't even get deep. So, uh, yeah, that's that. Uh, so tomorrow is tomorrow. We'll see how quick this gets edited. Today is Tuesday, October sixth. We'll see how, uh, how fast it gets online. But tomorrow, Wednesday, is the Vice Democratic debate.
1: Vice presidential debate. Vice Democratic.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, we'll get it in editing. Uh, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> so vice presidential. Uh, Debate and you should watch it because why not? What else are you gonna watch? Netflix shit? Um, or you can be watching us.
1: There's 44 episodes that you need to catch up on, everybody. 44
0: episodes, but either way, uh, thank you guys for joining. Thank you, Doria, for the birthday gift. Uh, we'll see you guys soon. And uh, James, until Thursday, we you. will we'll recap whatever happened. All right, man. See you later. Peace. See ya right podcast viewers you guys made it through the whole thing let me know your feedback throw in a comment really appreciate that and uh if you don't already please subscribe to this podcast it'll help us out big time and i will be super super appreciative of that thank you You
1: i like pbr i just got priced out of it